0: Well, welcome to another episode of the Brothers F. Today we're discussing a short story by George Saunders uh, that comes th- called the 10th of December and it comes from the uh, eponymous short story collection, uh, 10th of December. Uh, so, uh, how you guys been? Let's uh, who, Who's here today?
1: We got uh, me, Juan
0: Carlos.
2: I'm here, Juan
0: and it's me, Andres. Yeah, with the weird uh clicking noise.
2: Yeah, I don't know what it is. We have some technical issues today. It was it was a whole mess. My laptop has decided to just basically like shut off its its webcam forever. I don't know why. It just stopped working one day. And briefly our platform insisted that it needed the camera or also wouldn't work and there was we had to find some workaround. Pain in the neck.
0: Yeah, I have a grievance to file with ZenCaster. There should be an option on the video version of ZenCaster to turn off the video, and people should be allowed to join with or without video. Um, no, there is,
1: there is a there is an option to turn off video, but you can't join
2: without video. If that you can't means. join, without yeah, that video. that was my issue. Is that I I I my, again I don't have video. Like I had to go into the bowels of my machine. And somehow disable video forever, because otherwise, whenever it tried to use the video, it would just crash in the entire computer. Um,
1: I like to imagine, personally, I like to imagine Andrew's laptop sort of as the kind of artifact that's pursued in the Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> so you have uh, the Ark of the Covenant, you have you know the chalice used at the Last Supper, and you know these kind of weird egg objects that bring abundance to the village and the temple of doom. And then you also have Andrew's laptop, which, you know, he brought it out deep from some cave or something, you know, rats had found a home there and uh, it was rescued. And now amazing. I think the amazing
2: thing is that it works at all. I I agree. Honestly, I've put this through a lot. The the other day I spilled some water on it and it had to disembowel it more or less. I took off the back I, I opened everything up. I did I, I, I unplugged the battery, which, which was really, really scary because I was dumb enough to use a, a metal knife to do that. And there was some like arc welding type electricity thing that just sparked really loudly. So I thought I'd broken it. But I successfully attached everything and dried it out with a fan and put it back together. But it's- For our
1: listeners, Andrew is getting his PhD in chemistry, so please don't try that at home.
2: Yes. This is true. Although I, I know very little about computers, so I'm I'm pretty surprised that I didn't destroy it. But either way, this guy has is, has is, has is put me through a lot of my life. But it's it's about time to decommission him. You know. And Andrew, this is like day one. Don't use metal with electricity. That's just like I'm day sorry. One. I know. I know. I wasn't thinking. Thought it'd be okay, and it was. It was ultimately fine. But but yeah. Andrew, metal. Electricity—they don't mix. Like kind Thank you. of like you, it's like a warning. Like when you buy a toaster, it's the warning on it: don't use metal with this. I know. And- Anyways, the I'll, I'll get a new laptop soon, and the, the the camera stuff will be fixed.
1: Long story short, the laptop is mostly duct tape and spit.
2: <laughs> True story.
0: <laughs> what were those? Uh, what were those cars? Uh, were they? They designed it so the fuel tank would be either like in the front of the car or the back of the car, and people would uh, crash into them and they'd explode. I think they were like called Pintos or something. Um, I don't know, but it sounds like a bad car to own because it sounds like if you own it and you crash, you're going to blow up. So I don't think you should own that car. Right. Well, Andrew has got the laptop version of that car, it seems.
1: (laughs) This is also bringing on some some serious podcast envy for me. Well, not podcast, but
0: radio show envy for me. Because
1: if I have any vision for this podcast, it's that we become a lot more like Click and Clack, the Tapper Brothers, doing their show, Car Talk and NPR. <laughs> and uh, those guys, I, I actually got, I got some of it for the first time in a few years when I was driving the other day. And they're as good as ever. I mean, now they're... I think both of them now have passed away, but the rerun was so good. I mean, it's, timeless, goals, it's yeah.
2: timeless stuff. And You know, they're so time. good. They're so good at just diagnosing things from a distance and asking the right questions that there are some people who will like play them as like, as like a lecture is like, how can you like ask leading questions and like get to the bottom of a, of a, of a diagnosis medically even um, because they're just, they're just geniuses. Oh, guys, yeah, it's really impressive. guys
0: guys guys i had i had an idea that we probably can't run with because it's too mean but it, it's kind of great what what, what if we, what if we became the car talk of other people's fiction like people
2: wow <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so like so they're, they're, they're telling me about the short story poem. like what like okay where does it start going wrong um <laughs> right no, no 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 so we'd have
0: people call in with their short stories or like prose poems or or I don't know, artwork or something, and
2: we'd, we'd, we'd car talk them. Yeah, so go to paragraph three and read me two sentences in and tell me, tell me how it sounds, you know?
1: <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking, you know, and car talk will say something like, okay, so when you get it up 2,600 RPM, it starts to make a sound like a bunch of nails rattling around in a coffee can. And the caller goes, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> he goes, yeah, You need to, you know, you need to change the insert part that I've never heard of. And so I'm trying to imagine what that would be like analogously for fiction. And I feel like it'd be something like what you said there, Andrew. It's like, okay, so around the fourth or fifth paragraph, I'm going to take a guess that that you throw in some cheesy dialogue and you really want to fix that. And the caller would be like, yes, how, how did you know that? I'm like, well, we know fiction, you know
0: yeah except except I don't think we can actually do that, so it would have to basically be confederates, which you never know maybe the car talk was a lot of confederates. what does that mean confederates uh it doesn't mean uh it doesn't mean it doesn't mean traitors to the union it means, uh, <laughs> it, means it means people who are in on it with you
1: um Wow, that would be no. so sad,
0: no, it's true. I don't. No, I no, refuse it. to
1: believe that about car talk. You're telling
2: me car talk is fake?
0: No, I'm not. I just, I just thought about how hard it would be to actually do it, and then I thought if I were gonna do it, I would get a faker, and I projected my uh, spiritual disease onto the Click and Clock Brothers.
1: Very nice, Fran. Very classy move. Uh, no, I agree. That's the big issue is we're not that good at we're not that good at writing. You know, maybe one day
0: i think it would be a fun bit i mean it would have to be like people we know and love because like we can't we can't be gratuitous jerks to people
1: yeah 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 it would be a bit but it would be a lot of fun they have a lot of bits on that show it's amazing i think a good model for us in many respects yes
2: yeah but i'm I'm with watch like i don't know like i enjoy reading i'm good at reading i am not good at writing (laughs) and so like telling people oh, you know, like I really feel like this is a bad choice or something sort of implies that I know a lot more about the mechanics of this than... than well, people do. have
0: people have beta readers, right? Beta readers aren't necessarily writers. Like a lot of writers, like they hire people or they get people to volunteer to read their stuff so they can, they can incorporate the feedback and make the drafts better.
1: Yeah. Andrew, to your point, I think listening to what other people are writing and then saying what's bad about it is a lot more like reading than it is like writing at least in my experience
2: yeah that's that's fair that's fair is that is that the future direction of this podcast is just become beta beta readers for a bunch of authors who want to run off their stuff
0: not full time but maybe like once in a while is like a fun bit once a month or something i Um, think it has potential i do too i do too and you know textual analysis has gotten really sophisticated they have these computers that can tell you, you know, how many times the word "as" appears, or how many adverbs you use, or how long your sentences are. There's a whole uh, subdiscipline of literary criticism that uses these uh, the software. They call, it yeah. they call it something ridiculous, like uh, I, the sounds made up, but I think it's actually called stylometry.
2: Yeah, I think was- pretty sophisticated stuff. I'm I'm taking some classes right now, and we we talked about sort of complexity of of. Of uh, instructions or something like that, and they they gave us some text, and they we could run it through a little program that would tell us the uh, expected reading level of the text just based off how long the words are, how complicated the sentences are. Um, so you could like plug in a paragraph from Wikipedia, it would say like this is an estimated eleventh grade reading level or something.
1: That's pretty cool. I actually I worked in a lab once, and there was a guy in the lab who had a very technical background. He had studied physics. And part of what he did was this kind of textual analysis. And one of the big places where this comes up is in questions of provenance. So where a text or a piece of music actually came from, who wrote it? So like one of the big questions, I guess, and in, in some literary circles is the origin of Beowulf. And this guy published this big paper that did the statistical analysis on Beowulf to figure out um, where it likely came from. Another really cool example is this team of statisticians who built this model uh to figure out songs so so I'm a big Beatles fan you guys know this and Huapi is too and uh all the songs that were released by the Beatles that were attributed to either you know written by either John Lennon or Paul McCartney they're just attributed to Lennon McCartney so uh like there's some songs that they'll say, oh, that was 90% John, or that was like pretty much 100% Paul. But like the copyright is just always Lennon McCartney. And the cool thing is there are some songs that are disputed. So John will say, oh, I wrote that. Paul will say, no, I actually wrote wrote the melody and, and John just helped out a little bit. And these guys, it takes the fun out of it, maybe a little bit, you could say that, or it's a fun approach. Um, these people, they built this team, they built this model to... Um, to uh more accurately try to predict uh who probably was behind the song based on like examples that they knew were written by either John or by Paul. Thought that was pretty cool.
0: So you know like those uh daytime TV shows where people go on to uh, settle paternity disputes? Exactly. We could be like that but for books. Nice. Um or, or we could we could have people on and say things like, you know, I regret to re- inform you that your short story was actually written by Jonathan Franzen, or I regret to inform <laughs> you, that you write at a, you write at a sixth grade reading level. Or, you know, um, though I suppose that that could be a good thing if you're writing uh, YA. But yeah, I like this friend. I think this this has a lot of potential. We're doing it. I like I like I I brought it up as a joke, but I'm now committed. Um, all right, let's talk about, uh, the short story and a person I would like to write. Like, I would like to put my short story into the stylometry software and have it tell me that you write like George Saunders because I was a fan of the story. Um, it's a little hard to get into it. It's a little, um, you know, it's a little confusing at first. And then the themes are, you know, it's a little tough and dark. But the ending is just so beautiful. So before we go any further, listeners, it's a short story. It's about 8,000 words. You can read it for free on the New Yorker website. Just go read it. And power through the first bit because the, end, the payoff is so great.
2: I feel like some people would dispute you on the, the payoff is so great. Um, I don't know. Like I enjoyed it a lot too. I found it very moving. Um, But it was like a long slog through what felt like a schizophrenic mind to get there, you know?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I had serious random fury vibes, um, trying to piece it together. And I actually took note. The the device I was reading it on, it's pretty small. So the the story was forty seven pages on this device. And I was about halfway in, I was like twenty two pages in, and I wrote a little note. I have no idea what's happening. So it's definitely a story that you have to invest in, but I would say the end is, is a hundred percent worth it. I think it's very beautiful.
0: So Andrew, you're saying that maybe the, the, uh, the payoff isn't worth it. Uh, I'm trying to think of some like horrendous uh, cliche to, to say that Um, the game isn't worth the candle, the uh... (laughs) something else. Come on.
2: Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, some idiom maybe i don't know it just like i like i i don't know how far we should go to just spoil the entirety of the story but like the very end it was it was a very beautiful touching moment which for me was sufficient right but if you sort of disagree with that premise just even a little little bit then maybe you'd be like uh kind of stupid you know what i mean
0: yeah well look we're we're, uh we're warning people we're 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 giving them fair warning i think we can go it is it's a short story when it's not like we're spoiling a novel so, if you don't want it to be spoiled, like now is the time to pause the podcast and go read the story. Cause we, like, you can't really talk about this one without talking about the ending.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and I would say-, say it's worth pausing and going to read. It's a really, really terrific story. So, that being said, maybe now we can jump into what
2: exactly we liked about it. Well, why don't we start with what we didn't like? Sure. I feel like. There were parts of it I didn't like going forwards. And then as like the, the story all came together, I was like, I felt more warmly to it. So I don't know. Again, like I mentioned, there's a sort of schizophrenic vibe to the whole, the way the whole story is written. Like you're sort of getting very unfiltered thoughts. Um, And you can imagine like the, the way you think when you don't have to organize your thoughts into like writing or speech, it just sort of like jumping all over the place and like thinking of random things and random memories that jog, that jog up. Um. There are also all sorts of little moments where the the internal monologue of a character will say something and they'll be like, wait a second, that's not quite right. Uh, yeah, like this word instead, which is mildly, like kind of the same or pronounced the same or something. But again, it jumps around a lot. So you sort of have to like think like a lot it doesn't really make sense until you get farther in. It starts to come together. Um, Fran, should I summarize it? Yeah let's, yeah, let's 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 do that. To summarize the story, yeah, let me let me start it off, and then people jump in as they want. So you start off following this this young kid. And he's probably like ten or eleven. I forget the exact age, and he's sort of like walking around in a, on a very cold day. Um, and as the story goes along, you get more data, and you find out that he's kind of like a lame kid. He's a little portly, doesn't really get picked in the sports in, in sports at school the girl he likes thinks his name is Roger when it's actually Robin or something and people always tease him about his name and he's kind of sort of lost in his own world he has a like a bunch of like imaginary friends or something that he calls netherworlders or nethers um so you know he oh, he he just like imagines interacting with them and talking with them all the time um, there's a point later on where he starts to imagine that he's talking with uh Suzanne which is the girl he he has a thing for, and he imagines that she's there talking with him, and she says everything wonderful, and she says that like you know, like all these sort of affirming things, the sort of stuff you imagine internal monologue with a ten-year-old boy would have. You know, um, he's walking along, and he notices a coat on the ground in the snow. It's like you know, ten-degree weather, middle winter, um, and he looks farther along. He sees sort of a, a man. Uh, what was his age again? Probably like sixties or something. Do you guys remember? He's in his fifties. Yeah. So a man, sort of walking without a coat in this really cold weather, and he's like, "Huh, that guy dropped his coat. I should go help him." And his internal monologue has the, the his his uh, the, the the girl sort of telling him like, "Oh yeah, go ahead and do that." And he imagines himself sort of being the hero to try to intersect the guy. He he starts to go across a lake around this time we start to learn more about the guy's life and the way he thinks. Um, and I couldn't really pin down if he was like actually mentally ill or just sick. Um,
1: I I think, I think I mostly figured that out. It was definitely scattered and difficult, but so yeah, so you have the boy, the boy's name is Robin. Then there's this guy named Don Eber, E-B-E-R. And he's, he's the man who left his coat there. He's the man who's walking around without a coat in the freezing cold. And you start to piece it together. turns out that this man is very sick. He has a brain tumor and he's going to die. And he has a wife and two grown children who take very good care of him. And he was a very good father and he was always there for people. But now he's not himself. The brain tumor is changing his mood. It's making him angry and he's sort of falling apart. His wife and his kids have to clean him. They have to bathe him. They have to feed him they have to do everything for him and he's so tired of this that he wants to kill himself so he comes back to the spot which is a very important spot for him because this pond where everything is sort of happening when he was healthy he used to run around the pond with his dog he could run around the pond many times run up and down the hill no problem and now he's so frail and that's part of his frustration too so the man is there he's there to kill himself he's left his coat there and he wants to just sit down and die the boy starts walking across the pond to save him with these uh, delusions of grandeur. The boy falls into the pond. He breaks through the ice and he falls in. The man sees this and the man is very sick and very weak, but he realizes, oh my gosh, this boy, cause he saw that the boy was carrying the coat. This boy is going to die saving me. Uh, and he sort of gradually gets up and he's like, okay. And so he goes, he saves the boy. He jumps into the pond. He swims in, he pulls the boy out. He takes off all the warm clothes that he has. And he puts them on the boy. He takes off the boy's freezing wet clothes. The boy is is very close to death. He's very out of it. And so the man is like punching him to try to keep him awake. And eventually the boy gets himself up, Robin. He sort of gets himself up and he runs off into the woods. But now the man is standing there wet in the pond or by the pond in his underwear. And now the man is going to die. And so, I don't know, maybe you want to take it from here, Fran, but the story gets really, really good at this point.
0: So the, uh, the kid is kind of in a daze. He's not really fully there, and eventually he snaps out of it and he just runs home. And he, he doesn't even at first realize that this man saved him, and he's now naked in the middle of this freezing weather, uh, cancer- ridden and about to freeze to death, which, you know, that was his original plan, is how to kill himself as he was going to go freeze to death in the cold. And um, the kid gets home. And he, he realizes that, oh, this guy saved me. And part of the way he saved me is by giving me his clothes. So he's out there practically naked, and someone needs to save him. So who is it going to be? And he knows, the kid knows that it, it maybe shouldn't be him. So he has the good sense to go tell his mother. And his mother goes out there and saves the man. Uh, she come, you know She picks him up, she carries him, she brings him to their house. He calls his wife, and and, it ends happily, but it's not just that the man is saved. He he sees his wife at the end, and he realized he was making a mistake, that all the things that he was afraid of, seeing, you know, his loved ones seeing him die and suffer and having to take care of him and wipe his ass, like, all these indignities, like, these, these things and, and seeing his mind go like he saw it with his father he was super traumatized by this experience and he wanted to spare his loved ones but he realized that letting them see that letting them take care of him was actually an act of love
1: and yeah this part is very beautiful i actually i think it might be worth reading this paragraph because uh, I just thought it was it was so moving. So yeah, you're right, Fran. The man, not only is his life saved, but he now, he no longer wants to end his life because everything has changed because of this encounter. And this is, this is the man thinking now at the end of the story. Because, okay, the thing was, he saw it now, was starting to see it. If some guy at the end fell apart and said or did bad things or had to be helped, helped to quite a considerable extent, so what? What of it? Why should he not do or say weird things or look strange or disgusting? Why should the shit not run down his legs? Why should those he loved not lift and bend and feed and wipe him when he would gladly do the same for them? He'd been afraid to be lessened by the lifting and bending and feeding and wiping and was still afraid of that. And yet, at the same time, now saw that there could still be many, many drops of goodness is how it came to him, many drops of happy, of good fellowship ahead. And those drops of fellowship were not, had never been his to withheld, to withhold. So I just think that's super beautiful. That's like this this humongous change that happens in this man's life. He he realizes that like his father, his stepfather who also died of cancer, um, he can try. And if he tries and some days he has bad days and he loses his temper and he says terrible things to the people who are caring for him, he has to trust that they still love him. They know how much he loves them. Um. So I just thought that was really moving.
2: Yeah, and I found out beautiful also because it doesn't just frame it in terms of success, right? It sort of just says, I don't know, like, 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 yeah, you're going to lose your facilities and things are going to go bad. But, like, who cares, right? I mean, like, that's just part of the process. And sort of losing your facilities and getting a little little grosser and becoming more of a burden, that's just also part of the beauty of life. thought was, a, I don't know, it was a, it's very... Beautiful message.
1: Another. So I think it's kind of nice because on both sides, something that we might have glossed over the boy Robin, after he's saved by the man, he, at one point in the woods, he wants to lay down. I think he's actually going to die in that moment. I've heard that people who die from the cold, this is how it happens. They feel very peaceful and calm and they just want to lay down for a little bit. And so the boy is going to, is going to just lay down on his back and look up at the sky and relax. And he's thinking about all the people who make fun of him at school and and all the things that have made his life difficult. Uh, and the boy is about to die when he remembers this one conversation he had heard his mom have with her friend Liz. And the mom is talking about how good her son is, how much she loves him, how good and grateful he is, how he deserves everything and that she doesn't want to fail him and that the only thing she wants from her life is to feel at the end that she did right by this magnificent little dude. That's what she calls him. And that's when the boy says, the boy thinks to himself, I should probably get going. So he's right on the edge of dying, and then he remembers this person who cares about him, and that's enough to make it home and survive. And I think it's cool how that happens for both.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's another interesting aspect to the boy's character in that he's this partially ridiculous figure, right? He's You know, he's a kid, so we, like we can't be too harsh on him. But he's overweight. He's wearing this silly, like all white costume, this white coat, these boots he spray spray painted white. He tries to save the the you know the older man, and he ends up needing saving himself. And so there is a certain ridiculous side to that. But it turns out that the ridiculous side to him, his weakness, his vulnerability, that's what ultimately saves the day, right? So we we all want to think of ourselves as you know, Prince Valiant or Indiana Jones or like the hero of the story, right? The athletic, handsome dude who sweeps in and and saves the day. And he wants to be that. He wants to be that for his crush, Suzanne. He wants to be that because he's a kid and every kid wants to be that. But ultimately, what saves the older man is not his strength, but his weakness, It's only when this kid becomes vulnerable that this older guy realizes he has something to live for, right? Part of what I think allows him to accept that his life is still worth living is even in his weakened state, even in, in, in this process of dying this horrific death, he's still strong enough to make a difference. And I think that really does help the man. It it turns him around. So, I mean, it's something to think about in our own lives. You know, I think we all have things about ourselves that we maybe wish were more heroic, more valiant, more perfect. But we don't have to be, you know, Indiana Jones, right? You you can help another person, even in your weakness.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. For both people, for both of the characters, the boy and the older man, the real kind of heroism is in needing other people which is very counterintuitive. It's true, Fran. Yeah, the, the, the guy is kind of inspired by the fact that he's, that this boy still needs his help, the older man. Um, and he's extremely weak at the time. Like it's very, it's almost painful to read. He has to drag himself from tree to tree. And then he has to sort of pull himself through the pond really slowly, really painstakingly. He falls several times and his hands are bleeding. So he's like a shell of his former self but he still has just barely enough strength to drag the boy out of the pond and then collapse himself.
0: Yeah, it's almost, uh, this is going to be a little ridiculous, but you'll, there's almost like a Lord of the Rings aspect to it, right? Yeah, I see that. Like, you know, they're, they're Sam and Frodo, like they're, they're not, you know, they're not Aragorn or they're not, you know, Boromir, they're but even in their weakness, they can uh, they can make a difference. And even it, maybe it is even the weakness and and brokenness of people that allows allows them to be saved.
2: Um, you know some uh, uh, pretty beautiful points you guys you guys came up with. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, the last paragraph really got to me when I was reading that. Like, you know, I will confess, like the first part of the story was a little hard because George Saunders puts you so much in the internal world of the characters. That it's foreign right as as the interior world of any other person would be, so it's impressive that he does that, but it's still hard to read but the the payoff at the end when I read that paragraph, I almost cried. It was just you know I mean, I do think you need to see the the brokenness of both of them in their own individual ways for that that paragraph to be as moving as it was I agree,
1: also I think. Something that was nicely done in the story is how rich the characters become. like sort of the the downside is that it's difficult to follow. and I almost put it down after getting through the first half of it, which is maybe not the best quality in me, but I don't have that much patience. but uh, but the upside of that sort of difficult or inaccessible quality to the characters at the beginning was that at the end, they sort of came to full color. It was, it was like a moment in TV or something when, or in The Wizard of Oz, you know, when it goes from black and white to to Technicolor. Um, the characters just get so fleshed out. You start to learn that the man has a wife and has kids who care about him. You start to really finally piece together the man's story. And then I agree, Fran, this last moment when the old man is at the house of the young boy who saved him and the young boy's mom went to get the man and, and, and the, he, the man's at the house warming up. And then there's sirens outside and his wife walks through the door of Molly. And when he sees her, he's, yeah, he's so moved to see the concern in her face uh, and this, the face of this person who he's loved for so long and shared so much with. Um, it's really awesome because at the beginning of the story, the man is like this totally flat character, just this, I thought he was crazy or, you know, a lunatic or something sort of wandering around the pond with no coat.
0: So I think that's that's a good discussion of of the story, which i I do think people should definitely read but uh before we wrap it up for today, we need to pick uh you know i I've just decided we're we're gonna going forward one of the episodes per week is gonna be uh a all or as many brothers as possible episode about a short story, and every week one brother is gonna pick something new so i was uh I'm hoping. Uh, that the uh, man witch is still with us but
2: he's sadly not as...
0: he left he left yeah. about five minutes ago yeah Your dedication okay um well in that case he will not pick the first short story um i guess the the honor will fall to the next youngest brother who would be uh you you hunch i guess you will pick the short story for next week okay do i have to do that right now or can i think about it I'm kind of putting you on the spot, and i I think you I think you should do it right now. Otherwise, uh, it'll be bad content.
2: I mean, how many short stories do you do, do? Do people know off the top of their heads? I feel like I don't know any.
0: I mean, fair enough. I'm I mean I'm kind of putting you on the spot. And people don't read them as much as they did in the past.
2: But there's guys. Yeah, to- I guess reading this one, reading this one, got me thinking about probably there's a lot of really beautiful ones out there that I haven't gotten around to. So yeah i mean i'm I'm super excited for this new new phase of the brothers up uh bookcast but uh I kind of feel bad for lunch if he doesn't know anything off the top of his head you know
0: it's okay we could also pick particular writers, but i I'm just gonna say this and you're you all you're all gonna think I'm crazy but my 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 big hope is that someday this podcast will be successful enough that we'll have our own literary magazine and uh people will will write wow.
2: yeah um Something I thought about a lot, too, is that there's, I don't know, like, I feel like there's a big corpus of short stories out there that have already been written that nobody knows anything about, so a magazine that just sort of picked the best out of the past ones and recompiled them for easy reading would be really great and would serve a nice purpose. I've always thought about this, particularly on airplanes, is that I'm very often bored, super bored, will be down to read basically anything they would throw at me, which is why I think the appeal of Sky Mall is probably sort of accentuated, and if they just gave me a good selection of like classic short stories, I feel like I'd be so down to read them and would get a lot of fun exposure. You know, that's uh, my pick
1: for
0: next week. We should read an edition of Sky Mall. No, no, over my dead body. No, <laughs> so that might that could be that could be potentially funny. Um, I don't know. Let's think of writers. Like surely we can find a writer. Who do you, Who do you like? One who likes who reads who writes short stories.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think.
2: Who do I like? These questions framed this way are always impossible, right? Like, <laughs> like if I mentioned 15 authors, why don't you be like, oh, I know of them. I know of them. But if you just say pick, like think of anybody, it's how you're supposed to, you know, like, I don't know. It's just like, it's not a very salient way for memories to come up, you know? So I guess if we just start like throwing out names, then maybe sort of similar ones will pump up. Like we've already did an episode with Flannery O'Connor, you know, lots of short stories. Uh, we did Andre Dubas with Diego. That was pretty good. We can do another one of his.
1: He's good. Yeah, he has a nice collection, I think. Um I'm trying to think. I think there's a list on my phone somewhere of good ones that I've read slash want to read.
2: Of good short stories?
1: Yeah, let me try to pull it up.
0: Well, thank God for the edit feature.
1: Nice, Fran. Nah, yeah, I'm kind of drawing a blank. I mean, I want to pick a really good one. One story that I really loved that's pretty cool, I don't think we could do a whole episode on it because it's, it's one page. It's called Grammar Questions by Lydia Davis. Ooh. And I think it's about, well, I know it's about a person trying to cope with the death of their father. And I'll actually say it's one of the most powerful things I've
0: ever read. All right, we're doing an episode on it. I don't care that it's one page. We'll we'll make it work, even if uh, even if it's a shorter episode or we have to do uh, we have to do some more banter.
2: Grammar <laughs> yeah, I mean, No, we can, we can probably squeeze a good conversation right. And the thing is to sort of like see where this leads us conversation wise. I feel like this this time we sort of stuck very tight to the to the text, right? But we can always sort of just see where the conversation goes after, you know?
1: Yeah, but this was good. I like quoting from the text. Because, like, a story like this, um, 10th of December, which was so good, like, I don't mind. I mean, do you guys think it's okay for me to read a chunk of it like I did? Because I, th- I just think it's so good. And if people are listening but haven't read it, despite our warning that we're going to spoil it, maybe that's what gets them hooked.
2: Yeah, I, I don't see what would be wrong with it. I mean, I think it's, it's again, his writing is a little distinctive, but very good. And what's, what's the issue?
0: Well, yeah, no, I mean, there's no, like, legal issue. That would be fair use from a copyright perspective. But you picked the right paragraph. I was, if you weren't going to read that paragraph, I was, because that was. Have,
2: that was also fun. pulled up to that paragraph to read it, if you hadn't read it, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was yeah. That was going to get into the episode one way or the other. I mean, it was just, like, it, uh, it's it so was good. so good. Yeah. so good. It was so good.
1: Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. I feel like I've read a lot of short stories. Hmm. Problem is that you were a math major. Um. Yeah. I guess I took one English class. We only read novels in it. Death of Ivan Ilyich. That was a kind of a novella, but I thought that was pretty cool. We already and we want. We, we already
0: ahead. recorded an episode on that. Oh wow! I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. You did.
2: Really? Um, you weren't on that episode?
0: Yeah, that's a bummer. Oh, you I really that. like that story. Well, that that is um, that is, that, is, that you're, you're veering into novella
2: territory. Um, yeah. 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 We we got to make this short and sweet, otherwise we're gonna get it's gonna be like too much of a time sink on top of the other stuff we're already doing, you know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm more of a novel guy. I don't know.
0: Well, no, no one reads short stories anymore. It used to be that you could make a living writing short stories. Like that's how right. that's how Hemingway made his living. All right, I'm just gonna throw out some names, okay?
2: Okay, let's go Hemingway. Perfect. You know, pick something from him.
0: Hemingway, Chekhov, Flannery O'Connor uh pg woodhouse dorothy sayers
1: i was thinking let me stop you
0: friend i was thinking pg woodhouse but
1: i don't know if we could squeeze a full episode out of him he's so funny but i would just oh there's like
0: nothing to do but just start reading it it's so good i don't know that there's that much to discuss there is there's totally that much to discuss it doesn't all have to be like highbrow
2: yeah, uh, I feel like I feel like PG Woodhouse would be a great candidate for sort of a pure banter episode, like we did with Harry Potter and uh, and Calvin Hobbes. You know,
1: okay, that's good. Um, Fran, the other guy, Chekhov. Chekhov, I read a bunch of Chekhov plays, liked them a lot, and that reminded me of some other short stories I read in that class. I read a really, I read several great short stories by um, Gogol. This. Russian author from like the 1830s
0: or 40s. Oh, I'm, I, I he's not really on my radar. So maybe uh, maybe we can do so one. So he's
1: pick. super cool. Dostoevsky is is alleged to have said that all Russian authors stepped out from under Gogol's overcoat because he wrote this very famous short story called The Overcoat.
0: Well, why don't we uh, unless you can uh, name one now, why don't we do a to be determined uh, Gogol short story? I think we could do um. I think we could do
1: either the overcoat, or the nose.
0: Uh, well, we do come from a family of prominent noses. Uh,
2: on the other hand, the the rest of lo- Russian literature didn't step out from under Gogol's nose. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, no. Let's actually do the overcoat because the nose is super weird. Oh.
2: Okay. okay. Let's do that. All right. Cool. All right. The nose
1: is literally about like a humongous nose that starts walking around.
2: Sounds like Kafkaesque, you know?
1: Yeah, it's lugged itself
0: to some incredible stage uh, renditions. <laughs> we should, we should, we should do that short story, and we should just make fun of Dad the entire time. <laughs> no.
2: Um,
1: oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Go on. Let's do the overcoat. The overcoat is really cool.
2: Okay, perfect. Saddle. overcoat by Google. And we'll keep an open mind towards other short stories in the future. We should actually do Kafka at some point. We could probably get a few great stories out of him.
1: One good one there, Kafka, The Burrow. I read that in college at some point. I don't know if you guys know that. See, once you made it sound like you don't read, and like now
0: you're just like dropping Russian literature all over the podcast, like it's no big deal. <laughs>
1: Well, that's what the—that's what editing is for, Fran. And plus, Andrew was right. You need to give me something to kind of react off of. That's how my brain works. That's how your brain works.
2: That's how everybody's brain works. I mean, like, name fifteen books you read, Juan Carlos. Like, good yeah. luck. You know, I would sit
1: here for hours. You know. Right. Also, in my defense, I did math all day, so my brain gets very fried. Oh man,
2: that's a good good defense. Yeah. Uh. Um, all right, guys. Uh, I'm down to wrap up this episode. I guess. Do we have any final thoughts?
0: Yeah, man, like uh, it's a story about suicide and freezing to death in the woods, and it's still good. I, <laughs> I think it's a story about
1: redemption and weakness and love.
2: And, I'm going to uh, agree with one. Uh Weakness and love. I like that a lot.
0: And uh, magical fairy animals called nethers that speak like Dick Van Dyke.
1: I think you missed the. I think you missed the point big time, friend.
2: Uh, yeah. that really yeah. threw me off for the first like couple pages when they went on about the the Cockney British accent of the Nethers. I was like, "What? What is this story going to be about?" You know,
1: it felt like The Sound of the Fury.
0: <laughs> Whoa,
2: that, that's a bit of a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> okay, um, I'm not even going to go there because we'll otherwise we'll be here like another twenty minutes.
2: But- I think I think to say my last thoughts. I think it is a very common sentiment for me to feel and for everybody else to feel that uh, our weakness has to be hidden away, and we cannot be a burden to other people. Um, and that if we are, it's sort of like this nasty and like regrettable thing that people sort of like you know, pull up, put up their noses and and just power through, right? But this sort of frames it as though that is not just like a thing that can be born, but a thing that is intrinsically good, which I think is a very interesting way of looking at it and a very beautiful way of looking at it.
0: Yeah, I, I actually think that's the, the correct take. Your weakness isn't something that needs to be hidden Hey everyone, this is Swamp, and I just wanted to make sure that you subscribe to The Brothers F on Apple,
1: Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you have Facebook, Twitter, or
0: Instagram, make sure to follow us there too. See you next time on The Brothers F.